0: Hi, I'm Shelly. I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. This week, we're going to dive into resilience. So, on our last episode, we talked about these five areas that have our attention in terms of what really forms the body of work that we do with any given ADHD client. And the first one, and the one we're gonna dive into today is resilience. Before we do that, just a reminder that our next round of group coaching courses are now open for application. Relevant here because one of the two is on the topic of resilience, and the other is another one of those areas that has our attention, which is self care. Now, we design these so that you can take them in any order. So if you're not sure which one to apply for, pick the one that has your attention, pick the one that the timing works better for you. It's okay. And if you want to take the other offering later, there will be an opportunity to do that as well. So, Cam. Resilience is a big topic for ADHD people. Where do we dig in here?
1: It is. And it's so important. I think Bob Brooks, a psychologist out of Boston years ago, talked about resilience in children. He talked about islands of competence. Last week in the episode, we talked about like the Valley experience. And resilience is about going in and being able to get out of that situation. I think the analogy I used is the wheels come off our wagon. As soon as we go into a valley experience, when the brain is under assault, we're in our survival brain mode. And it's just, again, we're at our limits and then something trips us into valley experience. So this is not about staying out of your valleys. The valleys are a part of your life. Life is unpredictable. But if we can equip ourselves with tools and strategies and practices that are gonna help us around the valley edge, and when we do fall in, that we're able to self-recover or let a resource know. This goes back to that pool analogy that we did back in season one, right, of that pool awareness and falling into the deep end of the emotional pool. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it today, Shelly.
0: Me too. So, Cam, you know how much I love irony. And very ironically, your morning this morning is a perfect example of what we mean by resilience.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm holding my hand up so Shelly can see it. And there's a little
0: <laughs> 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 Yeah, you got a little wobble going on there. I
1: got a little wobble here, people. Yeah, you know, So again, that, that whole idea of life interrupts, I just sent my oldest to college for the first time. That's a new experience for my wife and I and just sent our second child to eighth grade for the first time in 16 months. And so I'm out this morning, You know, we've already got some things going on, right? We're already kind of like dabbling in survival brain. And this is back to that cultivating emotional health ladder of, again, those three middle levels of autopilot, below that is survival, and above autopilot is attending to, being a choice. I think it might be a nice little model for today. So I'm walking the dog and I'm just going down and actually, you know what I'm doing? I'm listening to the podcast. What I tend to do is listen to the podcast just to prime my brain for what are we going to do today? And I'm walking down and meet the new neighbors and they've got their dogs and I got my dogs and all of a sudden their dog... A little Benji with an attitude <laughs> <laughs> slips it out of his collar and goes after my nine-year-old sweet black lab, just like right at him. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? So we pull him off. My guy's OK. he's so got some scrapes on his ear. Well, he's got a big shaggy neck, you know, to protect up Again, it's like didn't expect it elevated me up and took me to a potential valley moment. So I keep going on my way, right? We say our things and it's okay. Doggy dynamics and whatnot, and they're apologetic and we go on. But it got me thinking about the brain under assault that those of us with ADHD, we tap into our survival brain so much. Arc pony, right? The adrenaline, the adrenaline response cycle, right? My adrenaline is going and I'm sharp and I'm focused, but now I've got this cortisol left over and I'm a little bit, ooh. But also coming back to, I'm not a false slate this week. We're doing a podcast. It's rebounding and coming back to some stasis. That's resiliency. I think there was a time in my life where that situation would have tripped me up for the better part of a
0: day. So before we talk about that previous time in your life, Cam, I'd actually like to talk more about today. What went into what you're calling resilience? What enabled you to be resilient, to be sitting here with me, recording our podcast, rather than canceling, blowing off your morning, rather than losing a week? Mm, That's a
1: good question. You know, I think that we always talk about doing your work, right? And this goes back to last week with the other 167 hours in the week. So both of us have done a lot of work inside ADHD and outside of ADHD. And I've been working on resilience for the better part of 20 years. It's been a struggle at times, but also developing some practices where in a situation where I would have been flooded. In the past, it would have been flooded. I would have been on guard and like the world is collapsing. I mean, I can tell you a time when someone cut me off, I flipped them off and then we were jockeying around in traffic. The rest of the day, I'm just like, that dude's coming through the door. I know it. <laughs> i just like, Heightened and being able to step back, what matters here? First of all, is my dog okay? My dog was fine. The situation was unfortunate. And so being able to regroup, reframe, step back and breathe. We talk about body awareness. We'll talk a little bit about that today. I was so much in my head for so many years, show that it was like I never really connected to my body and what my body was trying to tell me. Our bodies are like giant antennas. For our brain, all that nervous system connected to the brain stem. And so, feeling the tightening and like, oh, you're stressed, take a breath, relax. I went on my way to keep walking to work that stress out. And so, that's what was different. The other thing was, I would have in the past gone ahead and jumped on my call with my client, jumped on the podcast with you, and not told my wife, who was sitting in a long line dropping my child off. I was like, hey, here's the situation, because she would have come in and pet the dog and found blood on his ear. right? <laughs> so that kind of like, oh, let me let the people know who matter, and then cleaned up the dog. dog was fine. Everything's good. We're on our way. And getting back to some kind of a center line.
0: I'm going to add one here. You accessed a resource in me. You asked to bump back the time that we met this morning, knowing that we build in extra time knowing that I know that when you make a request like that, it is because you need to make a request like that. So you didn't have to stop and explain the whole situation to me. I think I got a text that said, a new time followed by dog kerfluffle.
1: (laughs) And that That was enough. No, wait a sec. It was dog scuffle, I think. Dog scuffle.
0: (laughs) So now I think it would be interesting to look at how this experience might have gone differently with an earlier version of CAM.
1: Yeah, I think an earlier version of CAM would be, again, that highly contextual brain, we're wired for association. And so if we're not tethering to positives, we're going to tether to negatives. And that's that when the brain is under assault, when we're fully in our fight-flight center of the brain, And in an arc situation, we're tethering to negative emotions, right? We use those negative emotions to overcome and activate for tasks and get things done. So it's helpful. It's useful. But it's also tethering to that inner critic, the inner critic and, you know, how this is going to play out. And so let's just say, you know, Cam of 15 years ago or 20 years ago, and that situation, I would have gone to this, oh, my God. I've destroyed any kind of relationship with these neighbors, or excuse me, not that I have, but it's been destroyed, right? That I can't be, it's just, it's a non-starter, right? So taking that signal, that big signal, and playing it out into this colorful disaster scenario, that's my idea generator generating a story. Last week, we talked about Loki weaves the story. So I would have been this sort of, yeah, this is how it is. This is how it always is for me. Little victim-y. No victim here. No victim this time. So all this energy and bandwidth, people, right? This is about protecting your bandwidth. Your executive functions are working overtime to construct these stories that will never play out. And that's that, again, what's on the movie screen down in the valley playing. It's got our attention.
0: Another thing I want to notice here is that in the past, this not only would have affected your day, potentially your week, potentially longer with this ruminating and catastrophizing, it also likely would have had long-term impacts on the relationship with these neighbors, whatever that ends up being. Because you have already got a story that is going to affect how you show up what your behavior is. Can I say something really quick? Yeah. I just want to
1: insert something. The other fascinating thing was, I would have made this my fault. So That's the other thing I would have done is that somehow I was at fault, even though their dog slipped out and it was an accident. I just want to insert that there. That's how devious that inner critic can be of like, you're the one to blame. And oh my goodness, yes, you're right. It would
0: have just been consumed. I want to come back to that, it's my fault statement because I've got something to add there. But before I do, I want to describe to our listeners what we just did. We did a little bit of coaching. And what we were really doing there is what Cam and I call developing a reflective practice. How we learn in coaching to show up differently and to create change is by developing this reflective practice. Even today, 20 years into doing this work, it's helpful to step back and look at a successful outcome and evaluate how did I get here? And to measure progress by looking at how might I have shown up differently or what did my previous behavior patterns here look like? This is why we talk so much about having a different experience. One of those ease in Rebel, exposure to different experiences. Cam has years and years of exposure to different experiences here, but it didn't start there. It started with one exposure, then another, and not just exposure, but then reflecting on what happened. What enabled me to show up differently here? How was I able to have a different experience? Because when we're able to name those things... They become easier to tap into the next time we find ourselves in a situation like this, in a valley experience that could completely derail us. Now, I want to take a brief aside to talk about this, it's all my fault statement. I did a Twitter thread on this a month or two ago, right after a client session that was really tough because that's where my client was. And that's where the work ahead of us was, is shifting his perspective there around it's all my fault. And I came up with a term that people really seem to like, and that's the blame sponge. Those of us with ADHD, we receive more negative messages than neurotypicals. Our behavior is confusing and confounding to the people around us. So what happens there? We end up poising ourselves to prevent any crisis, any disaster, anything going wrong. We make it our job to sort of prevent anything happening where anyone might be critical of us. And when things don't go right for the people around us, even if it has nothing to do with us, as it did in this case, we just assume the blame. We're blame sponges. We just soak it all up.
1: Can I add something there? Sure. Because that's, again, one side of Mount Rainier. That's one manifestation of assuming all or rejecting all, right? There's the other side of Rainier in the sense of no blame, right? The bull in the china shop. Manifestation of ADHD. The fast brainers, typically. It's like they're outrunning that emotional piece. But do you see that both are extremes? And that's the constant here that black and white, that all or nothing. So just, again, to balance that is, if that's not your experience, it could be this other experience too, or that you have someone in your life who is not taking responsibility for something at all. So I just want to throw that in there.
0: Yeah. So the way in which PASCAM might have completely catastrophized this situation might have become the blame sponge, might have had a very altered week and a permanently altered relationship with these new neighbors. This really highlights how distorted things get in the valley, in our limbic brains. How when we're deep in the emotion of events as ADHD people... We can't see the situation as it is. We see this hugely distorted version. And so the reason Cam and I are back on the valley again today, and we keep coming back here, is because this is a big piece of the work that we do with our clients. Learning how to have a different experience by first learning how to step back a little in that valley and not let things get so distorted. Last week, we brought in Loki, which was one way that client was able to have a different valley experience by naming that voice, giving it a character and personality. That helped that client take a pause, evaluate, and have a different experience with his dilemma. Naming things like catastrophizing or being the blame sponge can help create a little distance from the emotion so that you can, again, get some perspective on what is reality here. And back to what we're really talking about today, how do you do this starts with getting some resilience, having some agency in your valley, which is possible. So Cam, let's pivot Last week, we talked about being more overt with our listeners about what's the practice. What can you take out of this 30-minute episode into the rest of your week? So let's pivot here and talk about resilience building in the valley. And
1: that key word right there, pivot, is instrumental here. So the thing with ADHD is we tend to get into a mode. It's an inertia problem in the sense of, We go and we're in our rut, we're in our way of being. And when you go into the valley, it's just reinforced. It's emphasized, it becomes this surround sound experience with technicolor. And remember that seeing yourself in the picture starts to fade the deeper you go into the valley. And that's what happened with me, is that I would lose myself. That's the difference here with the dog experience today is a self-concept of, oh, it's okay, I'm okay, we're okay, and that there's this constant there that I remember. But disrupting patterns, right, in the other 167 hours of the week is to disrupt the pattern of the way it is. If you're in your head, if you're stuck, if you're overwhelmed, to disrupt and pivot, activate and explore I'll say those four again, and we have a little tool for you to share. Disrupt and pivot, activate and explore. So to pivot and activate is to just push off in a different direction. This is that step back. Often we get into a situation where like, I gotta push ahead, I gotta push forward. Not thinking that taking a step back, taking a breath, letting go, releasing is an option. We don't see that option. So when you slip down to survival mode on that ladder, right, you're in autopilot, you dropped survival, you need to reach up to attending to, right? This is a choice. And like, I'm a choice. I can be a choice here. And here's the thing that we want to introduce. It's called triple 10 ascending. Triple 10 ascending is something that we introduced in one of our group coaching classes. It's a really simple concept that brings in several different learnings that has a lot of great evidence over contextualizing. Triple 10 ascending is something that we brought into one of our group coaching efforts, and it was just received so well. So we're going to share it with you here. And so it's this 10 seconds, 10 minutes, 10%. What we mean by that is that disruption, you can disrupt in 10 seconds. You can disrupt the current way you're being with a 10-second gesture of breathing, pushing on a doorframe. In that 10 seconds, when you do something that is really focused on senses, the five senses, it disrupts the signal to the negative neural pathways in the amygdala. It quiets down the amygdala. 10 seconds. You can also do 10 seconds with, I'm doing it with my spouse. Don't tell her. Okay, don't. Tell me. <laughs> but I'm like, I can give 10 seconds of attention and it counts. The cool thing about this is, I always thought of I need to attend all the time, but 10 seconds
0: is a worthy amount. So, what Cam is talking about with this 10 seconds is this is the pause we keep referring to. And adding a physical component to that pause can be grounding. It can help you really stop. And when we're able to stop and disrupt, That's where change starts to happen with ADHD. My clients, especially newer clients, those that haven't gotten into the groove of coaching yet, they want change now. And they can get a little frustrated with the process. And I find myself not just reminding them that developing this reflective practice, starting with pausing, starting with catching yourself in the unwanted behavior, in the valley... And being able to stop and name it, if that's all you can do, guess what? You're already having a different experience and you're having the most critical part of a different experience for change. Because until we can do that, we can't disrupt the behavior. But once we can do that, the possibilities from there are endless. Now it's just about finding that point in which we can pivot and move in a different direction. And what's going to work for that individual and their uniquely wired brain in this scenario? So, talking about listeners, what's the practice this week? Before we talk about the next two tens, it's okay to start with just this 10. This is the critical 10.
1: That's great. I love that. So, the 10 minutes, this is this sort of again, after you pivot and activate, we think in wholesale changes like, I need to change so much. It's reinforced in our messages. You get a list from somebody of like, you know what, this is where it needs to change. Bing, 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 bing. And with our brains, we're thinking wholesale. But if you think about the other 167 hours of a couple 10-minute increments, so this is the 10 minutes of practice. So walking, mindfulness, journaling, speaking with a friend. Something that is different, it's going to help you develop some resiliency. This is in the realm of self care typically, but it doesn't necessarily have to be self care. But it's 10 minutes of self care, whatever that is, to put it in your calendar, to put it in your phone, to put it in a place that you see it. 10 minutes that 10 minutes can make a huge difference. I'm in a program right now where the daily practice is 15 minutes total of engagement with this program. And it's a big difference. It's proven. People that did 30 minutes of mindfulness for eight weeks were starting to change the gray matter in their brain. It's very
0: real. Cam, I just want to tack on specifically to the talk to a friend suggestion. We've noticed something really interesting and really powerful in our coaching groups. And that's that valley experiences are incredibly isolating. That seems to be nearly universal. When we are in our valleys, it's lonely and it's isolating. And there's real power in breaking that isolation. Notice this with my private clients too. And once we're able to name a specific Valley experience, I invite my clients to reach out to me the next time they're there. And here's the thing. They think they're reaching out for a lifeline or for help or for some coaching to get them out of the Valley. But nearly every time what they discover is the act of reaching out itself is a form of self-care because now they're not in it alone. So in your 10-minute practice, who can you share a specific valley experience with so that when you find yourself in that valley, they know what that is. They know where you are. So you don't have to send them the whole story. Just as Cam sent me a three-word text message this morning to push our meeting back. And I knew exactly what that was. Because we've been working together for a long time. I knew that there was something going on for him that he needed to take care of. And I got all the context I needed in three words. With my clients, whatever language we've developed around their valleys, that's usually what they share. I'm stuck. Or I'm in Hoth. Or I'm in the valley. Or I'm having this specific experience that we've talked about. Sharing that in advance with somebody makes it easier still to then access that resource as a potential way to pivot, to not be so isolated because you don't have to give all the context. You just have to say, I'm in the Valley. I'm in Hoth. I'm in this experience. That's it. And that's translating. Absolutely right. it is.
1: This is translating. This is part of our model of understand, own, and translate. And also, this is why we're so big on this group coaching effort is because we're seeing when you're able to help someone else, just listen to them and help them with their challenge. It gives it a, what's called psychological distancing. It's a distance where you're able to help. It's similar. It's not your dilemma. And helping others first can actually make your own dilemmas much more approachable. So we've done 10 seconds, right? That disrupt and pause. Then the 10 minutes of practice. And finally, the last one is 10%. And so this is out there of the 10% solution or, again, thinking that back to this idea of wholesale changes, when you focus on just 10% increments of change, what is a 10% increment? We do this all or nothing. We'll do the all or nothing thing. We're thinking about what is 10%. Something that I see is it's helpful in like relationships. The group coaching I do with Melissa Orloff is, you know, just assume that your partner is at least 10% right. It gives you a place to launch from. We can build off that 10%. So any way that you want to interpret 10%, but it's just taking a thin sliver as opposed to what is 10% of the thing you're trying to do.
0: I really like 10% for organizing tasks as well. We talked about my client with the home office who wanted to be able to work in his home office as a self-employed person. And when we initially talked about organizing that home office as a part of our coaching work, it was I have to clear off the desk. But in order to clear off the desk, I have to deal with the papers. And in order to deal with the papers, I have to go into the closet and I have to deal with the filing system. And I also have to deal with all the miscellaneous things that have been dumped on my desk, which means I have to find homes for them, which means... I have to organize the guest room closet and the basement and so on and so forth. All of those things may need to be done in order for this client to get to his version of quote-unquote organized. But all of those things did not have to be done to get to the point where he could comfortably work in his home office. So slicing off 10% in the context of organizing can help you get to the heart of what matters in this moment right now. What matters for the outcome I'm looking for doing this organizational task? The basement doesn't matter. Just take the stuff down there. The stuff that doesn't belong in the room doesn't matter. Just take it out of the room. The old paperwork doesn't matter. It can be dealt with later. What did matter for that client was clearing off the desk, clearing off the floor so that the visual landscape was uncluttered and pleasant to look at and be. That's 10%. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm like over here going, woo, Shelly, woo, I got things. I got things, Shelly. This is completion, right? We've been talking about completion. This is melons and landings, people. It's that identifying that and what's the next step, the 10% to figure it out and to overcome that inertia or overwhelm and activate for task. What's that small win, right? 10%. So this sort of, again, the, the triple 10 ascending. Triple 10 ascending. What is that ascending part? But yeah, it goes from seconds to minutes to this percentage thing. The concept grows. The ascending part is just, again, the way our brains are wired. We are wired for the exponential experience. As we go out contextually, we're not thinking linearly, one thing after another. We're thinking in the sense of a seed, that blossoms into something magnificent and bigger and growing exponentially. I do the same thing with Gantt charts or kind of timelines. Instead of looking at it like linearly, in the sense of this Thursday block is exactly the same as a Thursday three months from now, that's ridiculous. This day, this week, this month, this quarter, this year, and let it expand out that way. That's more in tune with how our brains work. So that's the idea behind the ascending element. So put this into practice any way you want, listeners. You can go with the 10% part. You can go with the 10 second part. It doesn't matter which order you do them in. I do think, though, that the pause, that disruption is a key piece there.
0: With my clients, when we're getting to the point of the session that we start to design actions or strategize based on our learning, I always like to ask them, what's the practice this week? So listeners, I'm going to ask you that same question before you stop listening to this episode, before you turn it off because you've heard our outro enough times. Answer that question for yourself and don't answer it based on what you think you should do. Don't try and pile on more and more and more. Pick the one thing that you can commit to, the one thing that has your attention, And make that your practice. Because again, this is a learning action model. How do we get the learning? You go out, you have your experience, you try something. So commit to the thing that you can try. And whether or not it goes really well or really poorly or somewhere in between, the fact that you've tried and you've made an attempt means that there will be learning there for you. You can evaluate and reflect on that experience, learn from it, and try again. So that's why it's so important. Nobody's trying to be the teacher's pet here. Don't pile a bunch of homework on yourself because you feel like you ought to or because you want to get there faster. Pick that one thing. What is the practice for you this week?
1: And when you evaluate, be super extra kind to yourself. Because another thing, reason why this whole learning process gets disrupted is because we pile on at that moment. We evaluate with extreme criticism. And so go easy on the performance part, right? Focus more on the learning piece. What did I learn? And how can I build a better mousetrap next week?
0: Well said, Cam. Now, before you tune out, we have a new editor and the show sounds a little different, If you have feedback to share about that, we're here to listen because we want to make sure that the show is still working for those of you that have been with us for so long. So you can always hit us up on Twitter at TranslatingADHD or email us hello at TranslatingADHD.com. If you're a patron, you can message us through Patreon or on the Discord server. We'd love to hear what you all are thinking about this new style that we're going with for the show moving forward. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.